Well, I invite you now to turn with me in the Bible to Luke chapter 10 today, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at those verses. And I, want, I meant to say a minute ago as well, I'll say now, I wanted to uh, thank everyone for praying for and some, I know, watching online streaming and others that were able to come across town to attend the uh, event. Uh, I guess the title was uh, Race, Reconciliation, and Righteousness that uh, I was invited to be a panelist as a part of over at the uh, Worship Center Church. And if you didn't get a chance to look at that, you can go to the Worship Center Church's website. And I think it's under there. It's under a little uh, different place than you would think it is. It's not listed. It's in their like welcome page or whatnot. But anyway, look for that uh, panel discussion and you, you will, I think, be greatly encouraged by the time that we had and hopefully many other fruitful discussions about those matters and how the gospel relates to them. But thank you all for praying for that and for uh, your encouragement to me as I participated uh, in that. Uh, as we look at our passage today, uh, on the one hand, it's, uh, it's interesting when you sort of commit to walk through a section of, of Scripture and go through passage by passage and chapter by chapter, it constrains you a little bit. So this is one of those days that on the surface we may say, well, what's this exactly got to do with uh, Mother's Day? I, I think in actuality it's got everything to do with Mother's Day, and we'll hopefully see how that is, uh, is the case. But it's also true that as we commit to walk through Scripture, then it, it pushes us to say the things that Scripture says and hear the things that Scripture says, even the sometimes tough things on, uh, on certain special days. So we're going we're gonna to walk through these verses today. And again, I want to remind you, as we saw last week, that uh, we, we, we saw last week the transfiguration had happened where Jesus was sort of high and lifted up, and then we saw the sort of contrast of everything that was going on, uh, so you might say down below, down from the mountain in everyday life. And we saw that the disciples, however well-intentioned they might have been, these were guys that walked with Jesus and spent time with Jesus. And sometimes we say, well, if I just had Jesus right in front of me, I would really get after it. I'd really be a follower of Christ. And, and we look at the Bible and say, goodness, the, the, the disciples themselves, they were off track in so many different ways. And that's both comforting and challenging, I suppose. And so we saw that last week with this sort of montage of Jesus correcting the disciples on this and correcting the disciples and saying, hey, no, that's not the path. Get back over. No, that's not the path. Get back over here. And it was uh, really, a, really hopefully an encouraging thing, but a, a challenging thing. This week we see a little different perspective as these verses are going to tell us that, guess what? God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Because right after Jesus has challenged the disciples on all of those things we saw last week, now he's going to say, fantastic, how about I send you all out? You're, a, you're sort of the island of misfits. How about I send you all out to go spread my message, right? They seem like the perfect candidates with all the things that they've messed up. He says, let's send you out. Uh, they're not the A team, the B team, or the C team, it would seem, but they are the ones that God uses, and God's glorified that way with the disciples, and hopefully glorified that way with you and me, that he uses folks that are fallen, broken, who are needy like us today. So we also should mention as we turn to the chapter 10, verse 1, that at the beginning of chapter 9 is a similar passage about the 12 being sent out. This one is about the 72 being sent out, a, a larger group that's going out. And I would encourage you to pay particular attention to 
verse 2 and then verse 19 and 20 when we wrap up uh, reading this, uh, this section. But we'll, we'll hopefully see some encouraging things for our lives today as we read about Jesus sending out the disciples and think about how God is sending us out. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, there's that word again. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And then if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And then verses 17 to 20. The 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Listen to this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's pray together again. Oh, Father, every week we need help to understand your word and then to go forth desiring to obey your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us in both of those ways and help me as I speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. When we think about these verses and the call to view ourselves uh, not as just being saved for our own personal benefit, and of course there are great benefits to salvation, but to being saved to be sent out to be ambassadors, to be ones who go and communicate the message of the kingdom. As we think about God's call to uh, serve others and to lay our lives down, if you will, for others. And if we think today in particular, too, about motherhood and the idea of motherhood and how much of motherhood is sacrifice and service in so many ways, 
And then we think as well this week about two accounts that probably all of us saw at least something about or read about of tragic events in our country of shootings where two people chose in those two different events to give themselves to save others. It's a picture for us of what Jesus is calling the disciples to in these verses and what in our own way, in our own sphere and circles, God is calling each and every one of us to as well, to view ourselves as those who are sent out. Main idea you might want to take from these verses today, and you can follow along on the screen and in the back of your worship guide if you want to take notes, is just this, that since Jesus sends us out, we should go, remembering our names are written in heaven. I mentioned it already when I was introducing the passage, but if you look with me at verse 2, And then at verses 19 and 20, you see two things that the Bible scholar people and English people would probably understand as uh, indicatives, statements of truth. And it's interesting because there's two indicatives that form like two uh, wonderful, delicious pieces, slices of bread in between which is this wonderful meat, if you will, of the imperatives, the things that Jesus tells us to do. Take a look first, actually, at the end of the passage, where Jesus gives them this huge kind of attaboy, I guess you'd say. Wow, you know, the de- I saw it. I saw Satan coming down from heaven, right? Like the coach that they finally put the play in on the field, and the players run the play right, and they come off and high fives. You did the play right. I saw it happen. I saw the power of the Lord revealed. And yet, at the end of the passage, Jesus reminds them, as amazing as the things are, Jesus says that I want to do through you What's most important is what I've done in you. And that is that your names are written in heaven. That's really important because when we start trying to get serious about this journey of what we call discipleship, not just being a church member, but living as a disciple of the Lord, and we start actually trying to do the things that God calls us, not just personally, but also as he calls us to view ourselves as sent out to those around us, we're not going to succeed all the time. We're going to run into a lot of, a lot of uh, stumbling and hurtling along the way. And we need to remember what Jesus told his disciples, that as amazing as the things that they did were, what was more important was who they are in Christ, that their names were written in heaven. So I hope today, if you're in Jesus, you've come to know Jesus in a saving way, recognizing him as Lord and Savior, and laying hold of him through faith and beginning to live a life of repentance, that you know that, that uh, indicative, that truth, that your names are written in heaven. And then if you look back at the beginning of the passage, verse 2, Jesus gives another indicative And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because sometimes we feel like, where are the people to reach? And Jesus repeatedly over and over in the gospel says, there's plenty of 
uh, harvest out there in the field. The problem isn't the amount of harvest. The problem is those envisioning themselves as being sent out who recognize that that's their call in their life and their purpose. Psalm uh, 78 is another good passage as we kind of introduce these verses. It's one we may have read before, but as we think about, you know, sort of Mother's Day, how it relates to this, uh, parenthood, children, even in our community or in our church, even if we're not a mom or a dad, it says in Psalm 78, gives us a picture of this idea of kind of being sent out with God's message, even to the next generation. It says in 78, uh, Psalm 78, verse 1, Give ear, O people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. And then if you jump on down, it says, We will not hide them, verse 4, from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. It goes on down in verse 6, and that says that we will tell it to their children and that the next generation might know them, the generation yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Right? That's a picture of how even within uh, families, even within the relationships, even to the next generation, we can think about being those that are sent and passing along the gospel message. So hopefully you're seeing these in, indicatives as a sandwich and the imperatives we're going to look at today are kind of in the middle of that. And then I want you to see it set in the broader context of outreach to our community and outreach to the next generation that God's called us to. And then the last thing I'll say is the Bible does uh, encapsulate all of this under the term of, of being a disciple, one who is a disciple maker in particular. And at the end of Matthew, it even says that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us. So these verses are in some way about just the beginning of that journey, about just beginning to get the message of the kingdom out there as these little groups of disciples are sent out to these folks that they're visiting. And I want you to think about that today, but in the context of overall calling for us to be making disciples in our church, whether that's in small group settings, whether that's thinking about Sunday school as a pathway of discipleship. I'm going to come to Sunday school, not just because it's the next thing to go to after church, but I want to grow as a disciple in Sunday school time, or maybe one-on-ones. Many in our church are seeking to grow and be those who are equipped and prepared to invest in others, even in one-on-one -on -one relationships. So these verses are about that first step of just sharing about the kingdom, but it's all part and parcel of this idea of discipleship. All right, so let's take a look at what these verses have to say back in Luke uh, chapter 10. And there's uh, a bunch of points I'm going to run through just real quickly because our time is, is certainly limited today. But I want you to see these, uh, these concepts for sure. The first one we see is in verse 2. All right, so you've got the indicatives. We know that there's a harvest, and we know who we are in Christ. And then we get the imperative. Jesus wants to send us out, wants us to view, be viewed as sent ones. What's that look like? Well, the end of verse 2, it says, pray. Pray earnestly. Right? And we've heard the saying before, you can do more than pray after you pray. 
but you cannot do more than pray until you pray. And that's true, isn't it? It's true in a lot of things in life. That's certainly true in you and me looking at our relationships of our friends, our coworkers, our family members, our neighbors as opportunities for us to share the gospel. I don't know that this verse means that every single one of us needs to get in little groups of two and go sort of randomly to different houses. Uh, That wouldn't be a bad thing, I don't think, to share the gospel. But it certainly means that we ought to be looking at how we can share the gospel in all the contexts that we're in. So praying. Pray first for God to send us out. I'm one of those people that likes to just go. And I forget to hold up and pray that God would do the work. That's my self-sufficiency. That's my pride. I think it's about me, even in kingdom work. We did this a couple of weeks ago with the fasting and prayer time. And I hope we're going to continue to try to lead our whole church body to be more prayerful in all that we do. That was a specific prayer time for our long-range planning. But we certainly want to be praying about the outreach God has called us to. Then in verse 3, if you take a look at it, it says, go your way. So he's clearly telling them to go out to these surrounding communities. And I'm reminded by that is simply the fact that we, we can't stay right in our little bubble and in our little comfort zone. We all want to stay there, most of us. We've got to move out of that in order to reach people that God has called us to. Our speaker a couple of months ago, Alan Dayhoff, the guy that talked about the church in the blues bar, uh, he spoke about it as going out into the wild. Maybe that's a better inviting description for all of us, the idea that God's inviting you and me to figure out where is the wild that he's calling us to go out into in the relationships he's placed us this week. Next thing we see at the end of verse 3 is he says, hey, go on out. And then, oh, by the way, little, just a short little disclaimer, you're going to be like lambs among wolves, right? So that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It was all a fun journey up until right about now. And then he says, well, it's going to not always be received. The message of the kingdom is not always going to land on welcome ears. Sometimes you're going to say the thing and mean the right thing, but it's not always going to be received as the kingdom falling on receptive ears. And, uh, And that's a reminder for us today that we shouldn't be at all surprised if back in Bible times, right there by Jerusalem, all the spiritual people that were there, if they had trouble with some of the things that the kingdom says, it shouldn't be surprised at all in our time that that's the case. Verse 4, not surprisingly then, he tells them to go out and he says, don't take any stuff with you, basically. What is that all about? Well, maybe a couple of things, but at least one of them is he wants them to be in a certain posture. If you have all your stuff with you, and you go camping, and you're a Boy Scout, and you follow that motto, be prepared, right? And you got all your stuff, you feel like you got it under control. If you go out, and you all of a sudden realize you don't have any of the stuff you need, and you don't have enough gas in your car tank, and you don't hardly have any money, you're in a little different place, right? You're in a reliant place. You and I are in a place of realizing, I need Jesus to do this work that he's called us to. So we're invited to rely and be in a place of reliance. Verse 5, we take a look at that. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. This is important to realize. 
the message of the kingdom, I'm going to talk a minute about how it involves a warning and a message about judgment, but the message of the kingdom is a message of peace and restoration and love and joy. That's, that's what it is. Now, the pathway is you got to hear the bad news before you can really grapple with the good news, but that's, that's the pathway to lead with love. As uh, someone has said, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is mere sentimentality. And some of us struggle on different sides of that, right? Some of us never say anything about the gospel because we're afraid we're going to offend. And we may be very loving, but we don't bring the truth to it. And it's really just sentimentality, right? If we never share what people need to know. Uh, Others of us are on the other side, pretty good at bringing down the doctrine and the truth, but not so good at conveying to people that we really actually love and and care about them. Passage tells us in verse 6 that the people should be looking for a person of peace. We'd call this an early adopter in in our lingo. They're looking for somebody who resonates with it. And we might think of that as sort of a wedge. And maybe some of you are that person in your family or in your workplace or your circle of friends. You're someone who God God has called and you haven't maybe thought about it this way. That God's put you there with a purpose, right? To be that person of peace. And as we're sharing the gospel, we ought to be looking for those who are responsive to it and ready to receive it. Talks a little bit more in these verses about verse 9, that they heal the sick and they say to them that the kingdom of God has come. We don't have time to talk about that today, but it's just a reminder that we come with word and with deed. Now I've got just a couple of minutes to talk about the last section of this verse. And it's a tough one, tough one to preach on anytime, probably a particularly tough one on Mother's Day. And I wrestled this week with what to do with these verses, but I think we need to hear what they have to say. And maybe I can situate it uh, this way. Uh, this week on whatever day it was, Monday or Tuesday, Jason, when did we have lunch? We were at Mr. P's. And um, I think it was Monday. And as we were sitting there having lunch, other people in there mingling together, enjoying the, the fine dining of Mr. P's. My wife doesn't like the atmosphere or the raw meat behind the counter, but I love it. And uh, Jason, who's been helping teach our Sunday school here and so forth, we were catching up and having lunch and uh, just enjoying our time there. And we walked out and we saw Mr. Pease that's up on Bluff Park there. There were emergency vehicles all over the place. If you followed the news at all this week, you probably saw what happened. I didn't know. We found it strange that there was no sign of a vehicle or was there a bike rider that got hit? Where, where was there was nothing. Why? Car with a couple of teenagers. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know how it happened exactly. I don't think anybody does. Drove right up to that bluff and right off of it. And I thought about that in connection with Jesus's word here. And I thought, you know, if me and Jason, or hopefully as ministers of the gospel, or if anybody in that uh, Mr. P's or anybody nearby had been able to see that car coming towards that intersection. Maybe they were going 45. Maybe they were going 55. Maybe they'd never been there before and somehow didn't see the lights and all the other things. If we saw them going towards that precipice 
and we were standing nearby, what would, what would you or I do? What would any responsible, caring person do? Start yelling, right? Stop. Jump up and down if you had to. If there was something nearby, we might pick it up and throw it at the vehicle as a last-ditch effort to stop them. Keep them going off of that. Well, people in the car, how might they view that, right? If they didn't know what was coming, why are those people yelling at me? Why are they making all this fuss? Why have they thrown something at my car? Well, Jesus tells us here that the challenge of the gospel is sometimes that that good news has to be heard, bad news has to be heard before the good news. And Jesus doesn't hold back on it. And the reality is Jesus teaches upside and down about judgment. He teaches that there's a place called hell and there's a place called heaven and that it is absolutely essential that we have a relationship with him if we hope to enjoy eternity with him in heaven. It talks here about Sodom, of course, and we know, of course, that's a reference to this Old Testament city and a particular type of sexual sin that was going on there, homosexuality. But the Bible speaks about all kinds of sins of that type, right? Fornication is one of the ones. Uh, Being involved with anybody in that way outside, an intimate way outside of marriage. Adultery is spoken of in the Bible as well. And then, of course, Jesus says that even looking at someone in that sort of inappropriate way is a sin, right? Is adultery. So we know that when Jesus refers to this particular place, he isn't harping on that one sin. He's just saying this is an example they would all know of a place where they saw the reality of judgment. And then he goes on and talks about these other local cities that are right nearby that people would recognize. And he says, you know, the crazy, radical, godless people that you think of up in Tyre and Sidon? Guess what? Uh, If the mighty works done in those places had been done done here, had been done in those places, they would have repented long ago. Because there were people that had been on the front lines of Jesus' ministry on Capernaum, and they still weren't coming to a place of surrendering their lives to him. You know, Moms are pretty good at a lot of this stuff when you think about it that Jesus calls us to do. And of course, this verse is addressed to all of us as disciples, but I I thought about how moms do a good job with this. The, The best moms at their best moment, should we say, I guess. Moms are pretty good about praying, right? A lot of times better than than others. Their heartstrings are attached to their young ones and their friends and their families and even the community at large. So they know what it means to pray. Uh, Moms have opportunities to go, to go as the disciples did in ways that others of us maybe don't with the relationships that their kids have and the other networks that that, those bring them into. What What a privilege, really. What an opportunity as moms to see that as a chance to connect. Moms get rejected, right? A lot of times by their own kids. A lot of times by their own kids, Uh, maybe by other moms when the way that this mom is prioritizing the kingdom of God for her family goes at odds with another family and how they're living their life. Moms love. Moms love, don't they? They really do love. Moms show love in word and deed. They don't just talk about it. They do it. Uh, Certainly in our household, the mom does that a lot better than the dad does. I can tell you that. And yes, Moms warn too, right? 
They're pretty good at both of those. You know they love you. Say, hey, put on that bike helmet when you go out, right? That's a warning, a heads up, quite literally. Moms know how to warn. Moms say don't talk to strangers. Moms tell us to make sure to put on sunscreen. Moms warn and caution that way because they know that we need it. So in that sense, a faithful mom is sort of a picture, if you will, of a faithful disciple, and we ought to be encouraged today that as we recognize that all of us uh, are, are in Christ, if we're in Christ, our names are written in heaven, we've got this privilege that Jesus has called us to, to live as ones who are sent out, sent into the lives of those around us in a way that we give ourselves up, that we lay down our lives for those who he's called us to. Let's pray.